how much do you think your parents spent on the kayak hobby? Oh my God. Like just bought- ballpark it. Probably like $5,000. You see, my dad feels like he splurged at three grand on the bar. And I was like, you got nothing on a hobby when it comes to the beginning. Just picking up a hobby and then throwing it away a year later. Yeah. Like that intricate knife shed and all that knife building station. Like he did that for like two years. Now that's gone. Yeah. There were a lot of hobbies in in my lifetime. Yeah. They pick up a ton of hobbies, man. That's that's wild. Wild, you know. Even my mom is in in for the hobbies because she did stained glass for a while. Now she's into bees. Yeah, she's into bees big time. Yeah. Yeah, there's that's her a, thing. Yeah, she's talking about bees all it's the time. Bees. Like, bees? So I sent her the Nicolas Cage, not the bees clip when she said something about it in a text. And I don't think she understood the reference. She probably hasn't because she doesn't like horror movies. But she's seen The Wicker Man. I know that. Has she? Yeah, she's seen the original. Yeah, because I brought it up once in conversation. Mm. And she's like, the old English film. Like, yeah, 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 that movie. She was aware of it, Christopher Lee and everything. Well, that's, that was the bridge. That was the connection of, of our conversation. So I, I know she's seen that one, and I, I don't. She doesn't dislike Nick Cage. Yeah, I don't think so. Does anyone dislike Nick Cage? Nobody does. I'm sure there's someone out there who's just like, "Fuck that guy, fuck that guy." I mean, he's he's a national treasure. Yeah, he really is. Oh, you look God. at me like that, but he is. No, you, you're not going to get away with that kind of pun. All right. Nicholas Cage is a national. Oh treasure. God, I I want a divorce. <laughs> Wow. Marriage is over. Start the show. In the marriage. (laughs) What have you done to us, Nicolas Cage? I now hate Nick Cage for what he's done to us. How could you? (laughs) He's a national treasure. You fucking bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. This is Gritty Reboot. Yay! Already the show is off the rails. (sighs) Meredith, what are we doing this week? We are doing The Hills Have Eyes. Yes, we are covering Wes Craven's 1970s classic, as well as its very, very good reboot in the earlier mid-2000s. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a big Wes Craven fan. And I think one of the things I want to talk about immediately is that this is not one of my favorite Wes Craven joints. It just isn't. And we'll get into it more, obviously, but I think I was kind of surprised when I went back to watch it, and I still couldn't find a lot to love necessarily within the runtime. Even though I, right. I, I did like the movie, I thought like, because I did this a few years ago with The Last House on the Left, I said, oh, it's so amateurish, I won't find anything to like in it. And I found a lot to like in it. And I feel like this movie is just a worse version of that at the end of the day. <laughs> All right, so movie over. Let's go on to the reboot. Um, <laughs> no, Meredith, no. what did you think of The Flash? Yeah, I know we're going to wildly... Stu- we, we never, we never ever talk about anything before we get into the movie. But we saw The Flash, finally. Yes. And I wanted to ask you about just a little bit, because I think you have like opinions here on The Flash. You think so? I do, I do. Because you were bored. I was so bored. I mean, it was just like a run-of-the-mill, like, everyday superhero movie cookie cutter from a factory that Amazon makes. You know, I just, there was no substance to the movie. I didn't like Ezra Miller. Yeah. I and thought you, you he was came really in, annoying. You came in with that bias already. And I think that's fair. It's yeah. not, that's not like, you know, oh, I don't like an actor. He appears to be some sort of piece of shit. Yeah. And he was given a pass 
so we could get this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we wasted our money on it. I I feel ashamed for yeah, buying a ticket. Yeah, I feel bad. Like I was like, oh man, I, I could. We could have seen Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, we we could have seen Jennifer Lawrence naked, and that's that's worth the. I think it was like forty five dollars for the tickets. Yeah. Or maybe you know, just no forty forty bucks for the tickets, just for the two of us. And yeah, that certainly would have been worth it for Jennifer Lawrence. And just, I mean, this Flash film, I think, and just a little bit of spoilers. I No one's seen it. I mean, who gives a shit, really? But it doesn't matter, first off, because everybody in the world knows the DCEU is like over. Whatever yeah. the fuck that was supposed to be, it's done. They're going to reboot it. So nothing that they've done to this point means anything. But be that as it may, the film itself is inconsequential. There's a reboot inside the movie, right? Yeah. We basically... The Flash tries to save his mother. Once again, spoilers again. If you if you really want it, skip ahead like a couple of minutes, guys. I'll put it in the show notes or in the chapters. So he goes back and he saves his mother and it, it throws the whole multiverse into out of whack, right? Mm-hmm. So when he tries to return, he's pushed back into the past and has to change all this stuff. And Zod in the form of a very bored Michael Shannon. Oh my God, he was as bored as I oh, was. Oh my God, Michael Shannon's like, so how much are they paying me again? It's just just another two days, right? Okay. Fuck. Like that is the vibe Michael Shannon is bringing his yeah. performance. Like he's just he's just pushing his disdain away to deliver the lines. But uh, a professional still. Any, but anyway, we we go through all this uh, Zod attacks and wins basically, and it all just ends in him resetting the event that occurred. Mm-hmm. Is he lets his mom die? So everything we saw through the two hours and thirty minutes didn't matter. Like every single thing was just whoosh, snipped away. Yeah. All that other young flash stuff doesn't matter. Didn't happen. You know, Supergirl and who I thought was actually well played by Sasha Calais. I may have got her name wrong, but, and, and that's a high point in a movie where I got a ton of Ezra Miller and I think he's fine. Uh, be the situation as it may trying to evaluate him as an actor and with his talent. He's, he's good. He's never knocked my socks off, especially in this part, either version. The I found Z- his character annoying. Uh, yeah, I, well, the younger version didn't really help at all. I, it, he didn't nail this this dual part sort of thing. Something I've seen a lot of actors relish and be able to knock out of the park. This dual role is nothing to write home about. And I think that's what the movie needed. You know, him to play off he, himself in a very unique way. Something Eddie Murphy eats for breakfast, mm-hmm. Ezra Miller str- struggled with. Also, the effect doesn't look very good, right? Yeah. Like, sometimes the head gets a little floaty on the other Ezra Miller. Yeah. I was kind of surprised, but I guess in this day and age, I can't be surprised by a big budget movie having subpar effects at some point. Yeah, it's like <clears throat> video games at this point. Yeah, and I think that's why we mentioned it uh, last week. We're way off topic on the film, but with Dungeons and Dragons, I thought those effects were very solid throughout the runtime. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing that looked hokey was like Chris Pine falling apart, and it was supposed to. You know, and that's why I wanted to commend a movie that actually got it pretty close to right, like release a movie with really solid effects that you can, that you can pull off in, in your budget. And you see things like The Flash, which I'm sure they probably did, and they just gone back and redone these effects time and time again. Yeah. And things like the Timo Spear or whatever, where mm-hmm. there's like weird dioramas of people. Looks kind of cool, but once they move around it, it's pretty hokey. So it, it just was a really underwhelming experience. Yeah. To say the least. To say the least. To say the least. Ah, uh, so regret that movie. I'm going to regret that for a while. Yeah, one of these days we're going to do like on our 10th episodes... We're going to talk about the DC universe and like where it went wrong. Yeah. And like what happened. But they, I, we just wanted to mention it today because it was fresh on our minds. And, you know, it's a piece of crap. And if you haven't seen it, just wait for it to come to HBO Max or Max now. Sorry. 
They wanted to see something different, but something different saw them first. The hills have eyes. Mister, don't take your family back in that area. The silver has been gone for 40 years now. There's nothing back in there but animals. This movie's all about a greedy fuck trying to get some silver. 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 What began as a vacation ended as a nightmare. So in the year of our Lord, 1977, Wes Craven delivered us The Hills Have Eyes. When was the first time you saw this movie? The other day. That was. That was the first time you'd seen it. Oh, yeah. I saw the re- reboot before I saw the the original. Okay, so that that is interesting. So you you would have watched it. And right off the bat, I know we talked about it a, a bit already, but the films are very similar mm-hmm. in story. Like a mm-hmm. very much the same beats do occur. Some things are a little more expanded on. Some things are lost. But for the most part, these are very similar films. With that being said, I do remember the first time that I saw this movie. And this was Hollywood Video in Victoria, Texas. I went to the, I think this was the third rental store I went to. Both Blockbuster didn't have it and Hastings didn't. So I went to Hollywood Video and I picked it up there and I took home this VHS copy that was beat to shit. And I watched the movie expecting to sort of love it like I did The Last House on the Left. And and I wasn't left cold by it. I liked the movie, but I, I wasn't enamored with it. And I think one of the things that set me up to really love the movie was the reference to it in Evil Dead. Yeah. It's on the wall behind Ash Williams as they're uh, playing the tape. Yeah. Down in the basement. There's a torn poster for The Hills Have Eyes. It was sort of Sam Raimi saying, ha ha, this is real horror. Or at least that's the gag. And that was how I sort of knew the film. So I was always really excited to see it. And I guess I was just kind of surprised how... I mean, you know, I like raw and amateurish movies. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Texas Chainsaw. And I just... it. It was just diminishing returns here on this one because I feel in like a couple of years, a serpent in the rainbow is going to come out and Wes Craven's a much more mature filmmaker. See, I felt the same way about this movie as I feel about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I can appreciate what it is for its originality, but other than that, there's not much for me there as a horror fan. Well, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the, the, the takeaways from the movie, like I said, I just don't think it's one of Craven's better efforts. Yeah. But it, it's not like it's a, a movie of poor quality, especially with the budget level. <laughs> All things considered, like how they made it, I, I still think it comes together you know, you know, pretty nicely. It's still a watchable movie, but just be warned, uh, if you've seen the uh, the remake and you're coming to this movie after, it could be a little rough with how low budget this movie is and how rough some of the effects are. Mm-hmm. But th- there is some things to really appreciate in it, though. So let's get into it. We start with the old man and a girl named Ruby, and Ruby wants to go with him to take her wherever he's going. So we're immediately thrown into a little bit of lore. Mm -hmm. We don't understand what's going on. And that's something I kind of like, because I came into this movie for the first time cold. The remake hadn't been produced yet, because I watched it on VHS, so I didn't know what the hell was really going on. Other than I knew they were going to be stalked by killers, I didn't understand the context or how it was going to work. So this scene was interesting to me as a very first time viewer. And I do kind of like that, you know, we're just automatically thrown into a conversation by these two people. And it's kind of shrouded in a bit of mystery about what's going on. It's a neat way to kind of tease what's happening here. And something the remake just doesn't do at all. Mm -hmm. Then we have our family, the Carters, with their baby. And they stop at the station where the old man is and Ruby are. One of the family members is a detective that's kind of retired. 
Yeah, we have a uh, Big Old Bob Big, Carter. Big Bob Carter. He's played by Russ Grieve, and yeah, he's he's just now retired, and so they're they're taking this trip across country, and where are they going again? I forget. Yeah, they, they're basically they're driving all the way across America, from what I understand. They're starting on they're starting on the West Coast. They're going to the East Coast. Yeah. So it, it's a long ass fucking trip, and uh, he has Ethel with him. That's his wife, and immediately. Craven is is pretty good about establishing characters. Like mm-hmm. he, you can see, like he's still Wes Craven. Like I know yeah. I kind of talked about him a little bit amateurishly, like the, the amateur style in this film. But what set him apart is he was already able to like get across quick little things we needed to know about characters visually in an interesting way. You know, and he does that here with the family. We know a lot already from this opening sequence. We know a lot about Ruby from the opening sequence. Yeah. You know, we don't know necessarily a lot about Fred. But when we come back to him, we sort of understand the gravity of things without having to really be spoon-fed a ton, even though he will spoon-feed us a ton of information later. But that's okay. Sometimes people have to tell stories. People tell stories in real life all the time. One of the German shepherds that they brought with them freaks out. Beauty. Yeah. And you see a figure in the background. And not a very stealthy... I, I'm not sure which guy that is. I don't think it's Jupiter yet. It could be. I'm not real certain. Yeah. It could be Mercury. Yeah, it could be Mercury out there. But yeah, there's somebody out there. And like I said, he's not being super stealthy, but it's the 70s. So I guess it's stealthy enough. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, there's some open cheese in this movie. And then they get this funny bit of time where they're they're in the car and they're driving on a nuclear testing site because the old man tells them to take this shortcut. And so they take this shortcut and they end up in the nuclear testing site. Well, I thought it was that Bob wanted to go that way because it's for the silver mines. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, I think you're thinking of the remake. Yeah. yeah you're thinking of the remake. It, they're so similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's one of the differences I had on my sheet here. <laughs> but no, but that's it. Bob wants to go this down this path that's more scenic for the silver mines. And Fred, right, he's trying to talk him out of going that direction. Like, he's almost saying, like, no, why don't you stick to the main roads? And he's like, no, 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 I want to go this way. You just heard in the trailer. He's like, all the silver's out of the mines. I don't know why I had to do an accent, but sometimes I do. Sometimes you do. Sometimes I can't help but have to do an accent. You do what you do. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, so that's a little bit of difference here. I I think he doesn't want them to head down that way. And in the other movie, you will see it is different. Yeah. So, yeah, they head down the path. Ill-advised. Fighter jet goes, flies overhead. And the fighter jet is so low. And so terrifying that this grizzled police detective, retiring police detective, freaks out and loses control of the car. Yeah, what kind of trauma does he have? Right? Yeah, like something happened. He, he had horrible PTSD in that moment. Yeah. Like, no, not again! So the station wagon goes out of control and heads off the road. It's a bush that... This bush is the strongest bush in the world. Cracks the axle. Yeah. The axle in a station wagon. Those things are like impenetrable. Exactly. In the 70s? Fuck yeah. No, no. Everything was built of steel. There was no aluminum or rubber or plastic. You built everything out of goddamn steel then. So, yeah, it incapacitates the car. They can't go anywhere. And so everybody sort of gets out and they kind of settle down for just a moment before Bob comes up with a plan. And Bob wants to walk. And it's like, what, seven or eight miles? I think so. I think he has to, he gets to walk like seven or eight miles and Doug gets to walk five. Yeah. So, and that, that's the thing. It's pretty late in the day, right? Yeah. So this is the one thing about the movie and it's fine. It's, it's who's Bob is the character, but I think you could. Oh shit. I, I wrote it down 15 miles, oh, 15 miles. Yeah. Okay. So it was longer. I think in the remake, it's eight. Yeah. I think in the remake, it's like, this is going to happen a lot, guys, because they have Sorry. super similar plot points. <laughs> We're trying to keep everything as similar as we can, at least to one movie to the other. 
But like to have to walk that kind of distance then, like you want to make that kind of journey at the start of the day, right? First yeah. light. So that's the one thing I was I was automatically critical of as the movie gets going. Even when the first time I saw it on VHS, I was like, dude, it's probably already like three in the afternoon. Like you, I mean, I know you think you can make that walk. Hours yeah, to walk 15 yeah. miles. And that's not saying like it, 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 something could happen. You know, you twist your ankle, you're gonna just go less than one mile an hour. You you'll be there. You know, you don't know what you could run into. You want to make that that trip in the morning, at least when you're well rested. But it was the one thing that stuck out to me. But, you know, he, he does what he wants to do. And that's established. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just mentioning my beef with it right now in the story. And what I, I think less of the character. The dogs are starting to get nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately. One of them gets loose. Yeah. He, he beauty bolts pretty far out of there. Yeah. Beast is not necessarily. Beast is a little more of a careful dog. Mm-hmm. A little more calculated. Yeah. Whether he's a little bit more well trained, we don't really. I mean, he might. He certainly does love his masters, but uh, Beauty ends up darting into the desert, which ends up meeting a cruel fate for her. Even as uh, Bobby gives chase. Yeah, Bobby gives chase, and you can hear he can hear the dog being attacked by something or someone, but it's getting hurt for sure. The dog. So when he, he finally comes up upon it, mm-hmm, he sees the mutilated. dog has been, yeah, I've been gutted basically. So he knows this wasn't like some kind of, I mean, yes, it could have been an animal, but this was probably something intelligent. And then something jumps out of the shadows and Bobby runs. Yeah. And this is probably one of the weirder things in the movies that he just hauls ass. And when he's running, he just kind of trips, right? Yeah. And knocks himself out in a rock. Mm-hmm. And this plot point is carried through both movies and it's dumb. But in, in this one, he is able to get away from whoever. I forget which uh, which one of the the kids saw him, or if it was Jupiter or whoever. I don't know. But well, we don't really see him clearly, right? Yeah, it's just a shadow. Yeah. So he he runs away, and that person does not catch up with him. He's just basically allowed to wake up a few hours later and stumble back to camp. Yeah. Then we're back at the the camper where our protagonists are trying to call for help on the CV radio, so, but yeah. all they get is weird breathing. Yeah, yeah. So we get the first creeper call via CB radio ever in this movie. Uh, and CB radio would have been all that you had, but it still would have been difficult in that time to try to find a signal because you had to, it was, it was you know, peer to peer, radio to radio. Mm-hmm. So you had to be close to somebody else and there's nobody around. It doesn't fucking matter. But yeah, they pick up obviously someone in the hills and he delivers the, <sighs> and I think it's a nice creepy moment. Mm-hmm. I think it helps certainly build some tension. I do like this scene. Brenda goes looking for Bobby in the dark. Bobby ends up, he basically runs into her. Yeah, he kind of stumbles his way back strange. to camp. Yeah. And he keeps his mouth shut, which I think is very peculiar. Yeah, why would he? I, keep I've, his I've mouth never, shut? I've never understood this plot point. I've never have. The only, th- well, he does say that he's trying to, uh, well, I don't know. I understand not wanting to worry people, but yeah, his he does dog say was mutilated that. and he was chased off by something, right? He yeah. saw something that scared him. So, I mean, I, I don't understand why he doesn't say anything. Why he has to wait until... Shit gets real. We, I, I, until he's tired of listening to his sister and brother-in-law fuck. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, he's just like, all right, listen, I, I need the key. Listen, also some weird shit's going down. Like, what? I know I'm getting a little head here, but... That's okay. Going back to the dad, he finds a house and explores it. Some, and th- that's the gas station that they... Yeah, yeah. They and stopped I, at. yeah. Someone starts shooting at him. It's the old man, and he tries to hang himself. And then Big Big Bob, he uh, 
he saves him from being. Yeah, he's able to to get him down there, and this gets like what the hell's you? What the hell are you doing? Yeah, this gets him monologuing basically, and he gives us the backstory of the film, Mm -hmm. which is that the person who is the antagonist here, Papa Jupiter, that's uh, his son, and while he had a beautiful baby girl as his first daughter, his son was born twenty pounds, covered in hair, and came out sideways. Yeah, killed Uh, his mother. Yeah, killed his mother in in the birth. And so this hairy, hairy child comes out and is basically like, like a Hellraiser, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually he, he or no, I'm sorry, he kills his mother in a fire later, right? Or he kills his, he kills his sister in the fire, pardon me. He kills his sister in the fire and he's unharmed. So when Fred comes back, he hits him with a crowbar, gives him that wicked scar on his face. Yeah. And he throws him into the desert to die, which obviously he did not do. So he totally lost his story. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's entirely... Yeah, he goes down the whole backstory. I'll never forget that 20 pounds covering hair and came out of her sideways. I remember that. Yeah, well, yeah, you would. Uh, yeah, I would <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, you don't, you don't forget a detail <laughs> like that. But yeah, so yeah, he goes into that whole backstory for him. And I think it's a pretty well-told story. You know, like I said, people tell stories sometimes. And I think his story is interrupted by Papa Jupiter jumping through the window. And yeah, and grabs the old man and kills him. Yeah, yeah, so... And then that, that's obviously what he, I think he even says he probably grabbed some woman and has been, you know, raping her and having children that populate yeah. the, the the desert now. And that's, that's what the kids are. That's where they came from. Back at the family, they hear something. Bobby goes looking. Bobby goes running through the, the desert darkness, basically gets captured by some strange people. Then we have a scene where Ruby is eating some food. We think it's part of the dog. Yeah, that's heavily implied mm-hmm. that the dog, that the, obviously they want to eat the shit out of the dog, so that's what they're doing. The remake answer is a little clearer, but, it, you know, if we have to look to that for an answer, but yeah. And poor Bobby, he's concerned about his dad not coming back. Yeah, because at this point, it, it's been a, a long time, especially if he was going to get a car, you'd be able to see something. You know, he, he knows how far it is, and his dad can make that walk, so, and obviously he has a reason to be concerned. Yeah, Doug and Lynn want to go sleep in the the station wagon and they're getting their stuff ready to go. And he's like pleading with them basically that he'll sleep on the floor. Basically. Yeah. Anyways, they go to the station wagon. Bobby goes out to try to find his dog beast and hears all the, the commotion mm-hmm. in the desert darkness. Everyone's asleep and the bald guy stranger starts stealing a bunch of stuff from the camper. Yeah. Then Bobby goes and interrupts Doug and Lynn having sex like an asshole. Yeah, this is where I, I came in a bit earlier. And yeah, Michael Berryman, by the way, I wanted to point him out. Um, he's on the cover of the film, and he plays Mars, right? I believe so. Yeah, and, and that, that's who that is coming into the trailer. Bald guy. Yeah, the bald guy. Yes, Michael <laughs> Berryman. He's, he is very famous in the horror world, and this is one of the movies that launched him as a cult icon. So I didn't want to mention him here, and this is the part that does it. And he's really good here. He's mm-hmm. very memorable. Very memorable. And there's a reason they put him on the cover of the film. He has a great look, and like I said, he does a very nice job in this flick. So it's very cool to see the genesis of that. He does interrupt them while, while they're fucking, but we do see someone siphon the gas, right? Yeah, that's the bald guy. The bald guy. Yeah, that's right. I, I couldn't remember which one it was. I just had I just had someone siphons gas in my notes, and I couldn't remember. So Barryman does that as well. Mm-hmm. An explosion happens, and they all go see what all the screaming's about. It's Pluto, sorry. Pluto, okay. Yeah. Brenda is left with the strangers. They both try to violate her, basically. Yeah, so we have an incredibly hectic scene here. So they hear an explosion, 
And immediately Bob's cries are heard. Yeah. And so everybody sort of starts to haul ass. And I think it's Doug that grabs the fire extinguisher. Yeah. He goes inside the camper and grabs a fire extinguisher. As Pluto As is back all of there. them are in there, yeah. Yeah, Pluto's already in there. I don't think the other one's made his way in yet. But yeah, he's already in there with his hand over her mouth. And he's like, just watch the baby! And he runs out there to hopelessly fight this raging fire with a little tiny fire extinguisher. Yeah. So they go out there to attempt to extinguish him. They cannot. I mean, they do finally get him down, but he is dead. He's been cooked alive. Yeah, Lynn hears screaming coming from the camper, and she goes and to see check on her sister. Yeah, and she's immediately the second she gets in there, it's time to throw down. Yeah, she's she sees this guy with her baby, and she's she goes into action. Yeah, she ends up getting shot with the struggle. Yeah, she does get shot, but she does stab him in the thigh, and that's a plot point throughout both films. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she gets a good stab, and it immediately gets her killed in this one. She takes a second shot. To the head. Yeah, she takes a second shot, and she goes down this time. Her mother wanders in after this and is also shot. Mm-hmm. Another plot point throughout both films. Another mother trying to protect her kids. Yeah, that's it. Basically, all, all the women here get their, their opportunity. They do end up uh, taking a little bit of food, and they end up leaving, they bring Barbara, right? Or Brenda, pardon me. Uh, Brenda, right? Mm-hmm. Bring her outside. Yeah. and uh, Mars puts a gun in her mouth, pulls yeah. the trigger. He's out of bullets. Yep. Next time. Harry's <laughs> like, I'll see you later. I'll and come they, back for you or yeah, something Yeah, they, like they runs off into the distance. I did like, by the way, a, a plot point also in both movies is when uh, Mars drops down from the top of the trailer. Yeah. The second the family runs off. Like, they had a really well-coordinated attack. Like, they were ready to do this. It shows how long they've been doing it and how much enjoyment they've taken it. I think that's something we skipped over earlier, and it's something that's not in the remake that I did want to point out, is, you know, Papa Jupiter takes glee in shoving that cactus in Bob's mouth Mm -hmm. and crucifying him. Like, he's like there's a smile on his face. He loves the work. He enjoys doing this. And I think that's one element that this movie has the edge on. He is a terrifying character. He's not one of Craven's best villains. I mean, because he's got quite a few good ones. But I mean, he certainly is worthy of mention. Like, the, the way he's portrayed, I think, is a little over the top. But he is altogether, you know, what would be a fucking terrifying sight to run into. Mm-hmm. So I do want to give it that. He's a much better character here than he is in the other movie. Yeah, that was a good point. Thank you. I try. <laughs> okay. So where were we? So yeah, what McCready, he gives the blood test at this point. Oh, wrong, no. wrong movie. Wrong week. Wrong week. Wrong week. Okay. So we, we just talked about the mother dying. Yes. And them taking off. They wrap her in, yeah. they wrap her in blankets and to try because she's saying she's cold. She's clearly yeah, dying. Yeah, she, she's dying. Yeah, I'm sorry. She's not dead. She is dying in this. And Doug, Doug, Doug tries to comfort her, and and I think I think Bobby's still in a rage at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't come in to see his mother just yet, so he comforts her, and she's in shock, and he says like everything's okay, it's gonna be fine, and and she passes away. It's a sad scene. I I, I think here here's where the rawness of the movie can really help because like when he goes and he grabs his wife, like he just leans down and slowly does it. There's no cuts. There's nothing fancy about how it's done. It's just that raw moment. Like one just last final hug with her, and that's all mm-hmm. he's got. You know, I, I think there is that's one time this style really helps because a death like that in that moment is just like a raw nerve out. 
There's nothing you can do about it. It's just there, you know. It's this sudden event that completely changed fucking everything. But yeah. he can't worry about that at this moment. He's got bigger fish to fry. They have his baby. They, he's got to get the kid back. And this is what the core tenet of the film was about, is at this moment. the Parenthood. The Carter family, they don't scare. You know, and I think that's something that these cannibals have been relying on for a long time. It's once they make those attack, people give up or they try to run. And they're like, nah, man, we're going to fight. You know, because he wants this, he wants this kid back, and he's got the dog. And so after the attack, I do want to mention Beast does kill Mercury. Mercury. Yeah, Beast kills Mercury. Mercury, total jobber, by the way. Low stats. This is like a roll up loss, right? But it begins the the turning of the tide in the movie. Yeah, of it being all about the 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 cannibals and the initially and yeah, it, now it, we're doing it all about the cargo yeah, the, the entire film to this point has been about the animalistic nature of them yeah and now we are going to show how far into that animalistic side the carters are willing to go to get their vengeance yep and that's the core tenet of what this movie is about yeah it's, that's I, what's I like great that when it's, you know ringing a bell to get you to see and i think it's a great example of that because you know immediately he's going to take beast and he's going to try to to ride back to ride back into the belly of the beast to try to get his kid. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that, that I really enjoy. And they're going to work on trying to set a trap for that son of a bitch. Yeah. Cause the strangers, they want to be eat the baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Trust those filthy cannibals. The only one you can is Ruby. Doug finds beasts and there's a decent jump scare there. That's what he does have a jump scare. Craven likes them. The strangers are, I, I call them the strangers in, in my notes. <laughs> You do the weirdest things. Why do you call them that? I it's it's left over from bartending where you would just like whenever you had a guy with a tab, yeah, you would just say, Okay, guy with big nose. <laughs> and that would be his tab tab name. Because you'd have so many tabs, you'd have to do something. Anyways. <laughs> You're a weirdo. You're, I hope one day when we do the strangers, you don't actually call them the strangers in your notes. Right. What's the dad's name? Bob. Big Bob. No. The Papa Jupiter. Papa Jupiter. Papa Jupiter. Papa Jupiter talks to burned out decapitated oh, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did like this. Uh, Bobby goes back to like mourn his father's body and it's gone. Yeah. And this is why they okay. took it back. And to eat it. This dinner scene is not in the other movie. And I, I think it's really pivotal when I talk about that terrifying character of Papa Jupiter. I, now, I, I think, once again, his acting is a little silly. Like, I think there's just diminishing returns on actings, uh, on low budget acting in this movie for Craven. But I do like the concept of this scene. I would have liked to have seen this sequence redone. This is one I feel bad about wasn't redone. I think this is a really chilling scene with him mocking this dead man, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's sadistic. It's the kind of thing Craven does really well. And he does it well here. Doug and the dog spot the two strangers. And then <laughs> Ethel is dead. She had died. Yeah. And the dog attacks Pluto. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's Pluto. Ruby. He's able to lay in wait and surprise Pluto. Basically, everyone in this movie has 100 stealth. Yeah. Is what we've learned at this point. Like, it's like, what was that game? I was, oh, Days Gone. Where unless I was like jumping, doing jumping jacks in front of a zombie, he could not see me. Yeah. That's basically how stealth works in this movie. Because he just hides there and he attacks Pluto's ankle, right? Mm-hmm. And he tears up his ankle. Pluto is completely worthless from this point in the film. Yeah, the dog, man. Yeah, no, Beast Beast is the hero. That's why he gets a flashback in the sequel. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, he does. He does. It's a weird movie. Ruby escapes with the baby because they're wanting to eat it. 
She replaces the baby with a pig. Yeah, she replaced that some bitch with a pig. So um, I do like that he goes out there to kill it, and obviously he can at that point. And there's a mama character, by the way, we've kind of skipped over. She's not particularly important no. in the narrative. She just kind of gives us a little bit more backstory in a scene with Ruby before, and she does the same thing here in this scene. She's not needed. She doesn't show up again. So, yeah, Ruby uh, has the baby. The dog goes for Pluto's throat and kills him. Yeah, he does come back at a certain point. And he's able to finish Pluto off. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that. He does. And he has the definitive death. Like, he is death gurgles, his hand stops. And I do want to mention that because Pluto and Michael Berryman do return in the sequel. He just shrug off that death. But he does die here. Yeah, he's, he's dead. totally dead. Yeah, I would count him as completely dead. Yeah. Beasts don't fuck around. Beasts don't take no prisoners. No, beasts don't. Yeah, he ain't fucking around. <laughs> now we get our scene with... Uh, Brenda and Bobby setting a booby trap like Home Alone style. So Wes Craven fucking loves booby traps. This was like his fucking fetish throughout the late 70s and early 80s. Because he does it here. He does it in Nightmare. He does it in Last House, right? I mean, yeah, he, he absolutely loves to set little booby traps. I don't know why, but it's like his thing. And then after like Nightmare, he kind of lays off it for a little bit until we get the people under the stairs. And then he saw, then he was probably in a theater and the first trailer for Saw came up and he was like, son of a bitch. Well, they tie a rope around the axle or not the axle, the, the, wheel. the wheel. Yeah, the actual wheel. The, the wheel. And they grab the, they lay a trap for, I don't remember. Papa Jupiter, right? Papa Jupiter, I think. Yeah. And they capture him, but the wheel stops spinning. So he gets out it's of gas. Yeah. It's like gas. Cause they used it all to burn their father. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dark fact. You can get here at gritty reboot. And so he goes after Bobby and Brenda and they go into the camper and they've rigged it up to basically explode. They have like matches. Like so they have a plan already in place. Yeah. They're trying to outsmart him. And this is one of those things where I think like, I think you outsmarted yourself. Yeah, I know. Because first off, here are the two issues that I want to say right off the bat. Would you just leave the propane running? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And and the the other big issue, I was like, you want to leave the spark that will kill this person who is literally going to rip you apart and eat you to a fucking match on a match strip? How many times do you hit a match on a match oh, strip I and know. nothing, right? That's what I was thinking. And this thinking. guy was going to get a perfect strike. And they copy this plot point in the next movie. Mm-hmm. And it's dumb there, too. It drives me insane. It's, it's, it's worse than the next movie. But at least in this one, it doesn't quite work, right? Yeah. They, uh, they get this big explosion. It's a cool way to end the movie, right? Mm-hmm. They get this big explosion, but it doesn't get him because he knew something was up. Yeah. And because, I mean, we've established that he's a smart, intelligent hunter. It's going to take a lot to finish this guy off, right? Right. But l- luckily there is a battle and they're able to subdue him. I felt like the person that played uh, Brenda is annoying. She was. She screamed a lot. Yeah. She, she just was, I think Bobby being annoyed with her was my annoyance as well. No, I think that's 100% fair. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest early in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she does drag it. Like I said, the acting just isn't as good here mm-hmm. as it is in, I think, Last House. As a low-budget film. Doug and the other stranger, I, I don't remember. Oh, I did. I, by the way, I forgot that they did use the mother as the trap. Yeah, that's right. We, yeah, and I, I did want to mention this because this is the goofiest scene in the world. Because like Papa Prop Jupiter is like, mm, I mean, let me take a look at this dead body here. Like he just has to like get right in her face to be like, 
Yep, did all right. (laughs) He couldn't tell from like the smell or the flies around her because she's literally like blue, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's blue when they put her out there. But he had to get up close to be able to tell. That drove me nuts. But continue on. Doug and one of the guys struggle and Ruby picks up a a rattlesnake and has it bite bite him. It was a weird scene. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. Ruby does... Turn completely face, and she uses, I guess, the first thing she could think of, which is the rattlesnake. A very odd way to murder mm-hmm. a man. But she puts it on, on him, and it works. It works. Yeah. Doug finishes him off. Yeah. There's a, a brutal, really brutal kill sequence, right? He's just, whoosh, 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 whoosh. I mean, just going to town. And then my least favorite part of this movie, it ends. Yeah, it just, it's just- Just a, ends. Yeah. There's no falling action, nothing. Just fucking ends. I hate that shit. Yeah. That happens a lot with older movies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's a good way to end on the brutality, you know? Yeah, but come on. Even though I, I, I'll be honest. I would have sworn I remember a scene where he gets back to the... No, to they the ain't shit. They uh-huh. ain't shit. I wrote that down. Yeah, I would have sworn I remembered that. But that's probably the Mandela effect in that respect, so... Well, there are some really cool facts about this movie that I want to share with you. Yeah, lay them on me. Wes Craven was in part inspired by an incident that happened to him while he was taking a motorcycle trip with his wife. When they stopped in a small town in Nevada, a trio of locals shot an arrow past his head and insulted him. When Craven threatened to sue him, they replied they could easily kill him and leave his corpse in a nearby salt mine, and no one would ever know. Ooh, I like that. Right? That's cool. Craven considered this movie an homage to Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that's a really good way to put that because you can feel that in this movie. Yeah. I think you can tell Craven saw that and went, this is a masterwork. Mm-hmm. And I think this is definitely that that kind of movie, you know, and, you know, there are references to it. And I think that's the same way that he nods at that movie is how Sam Raimi nods at this movie in Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. At, least, at least to me, that's the way I, I look at that tip of the hat. You guys can't see it, but I'm tipping a fictional top hat right now. Good job. She loves it. The MPAA initially gave the film an X rating, which would have relegated it to the porn circuit and would have severely hurt box office returns. It's not that violent, even by late 70s standards. I know, right? So Craven went and cut the movie to get an R rating. The director's cut, unfortunately, no longer exists. Yeah, you'll you'll find this a lot. Just nobody gave a shit to hold on to the celluloid back then. And who was Wes Craven in 77 or 78? Yeah. So why bother holding on to it? That's why sometimes you might see like these movies get rescued off an old 16 millimeter print because it's all somebody just happened to hold on to. At around 55 minutes, Virginia Vincent's reaction to being shot is genuine as there was a mishap with her squib planted under her robe. The small explosion caused a great deal of pain and she was briefly hospitalized. Yeah, yeah. This happens a lot as a matter of fact. Well, not a lot, but th- this is a common occurrence. You just, you put a squib on incorrectly, the pads, the not on or doesn't cover the entire explosive area on the, they live Roddy Piper. They put it on him backwards. So it exploded into him. Damn. And you can see it. One squib comes out and just like under his shirt, it just pops up. And you, the look on Roddy Piper's face, a guy who got thrown around a wooden ring and concrete floor for a good portion of his career is pure pain. Like you just, like you can just see it when it hits and he falls over. And yeah, he, he had the scar. For, you, he need Russell. You could see that scar for years. Damn. Yeah, yeah. That, just, I mean, somebody, trust me, some, some fucking guy in, our, in that department got their ass kicked that night. Craven initially 
dislike the title. He wanted to call it Blood Relations. However, the producer, Peter Locke, hated the title. Yeah, I hate that title, too. While researching terrible things at a New York public library, Craven came across the legend of Sonny Bean, who was the patriarch of a wild clan of Scottish cannibals who murdered people throughout the early 1400s. Craven was fascinated by this and that his King James behest, the clan was treated as cruel and as brutal as they were. This is why in the film, the Carter family becomes just as vicious as their tormentors. You know, Craven was always sort of like this. Like he did a nice job trying to take from classic sources and try to convert them into things like he had nightmares or fears about. And this is another good example of him kind of mining that gold and coming up with something really good. Cause obviously, mm-hmm. you know, this got a sequel, so it was successful and got a reboot. And, you know, he goes that well again in nightmare on Elm street. And that's a great idea. You know, using childhood fears and the story that creeped him out in the LA times or a remake of the Virgin spring. You know, with with the idea of like a young girl in a bad situation, like a fear about that, that a friend expressed to him gave us last house on the left. So Craven was always so good about taking those real things that really scared him and being able to put that on screen. And that's why he is a master of horror. Many of the props in the family's cave were from art director Robert A. Burns props he designed for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Film was shot on a camera rented from a notorious California pornographer. You do what you got to do. And finally, come, come wipes right off, so you're fine. <laughs> the character of Pluto, played by Michaels Berryman, claims to have been born with several birth defects. Chief among them is hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, a hereditary disorder that makes him incapable of growing hair, nails, or teeth. It also makes him unable to grow sweat glands, which meant long days filming in the Nevada desert was very dangerous. They had to immediately cover him as soon as he finished his scenes. Holy shit. Damn, I didn't know that. That's dangerous as hell. Yeah. Especially on low-budget production, but he does have a look, man. He really does. I mean, not a lot of people can bring that, what he does. All right. On to we've exhausted everything there is to Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I I can't think of anything else. I I know there's probably one fact I'll think of when I'm cutting the show together. Like, damn it. I forgot that. But, I mean, all in all, I I think we've pretty much covered that. I think it's time to move on to the other film. We have The Hills Have Eyes 2006. Hmm? Look how little I wrote. Yeah, you write super tiny. Well, hey, we're on a podcast. You want to talk in these microphones? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, people don't need to know about my little writing. People, I think people want to know about your tiny notes. Well, I do it because I don't want to. I'm lazy, basically. Well, they seem like they're written by like a little girl. That's how small they are. I know, isn't it great? Uh, they're written in, in small shorthand. No one has their real character names. Unless their real character name is only like three letters long. I'm sure you probably put down Bob as Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I don't know, you asked me earlier who the dad was earlier, so. 
<laughs> no, who the? But I, I now I know Stranger's you, you Dad. Yes, yeah, the Stranger's Dad. Will you stop giving this movie new lore? <laughs> you are not allowed to give movies new lore. That's not a thing. We are. We start this movie. We begin with something new. With scientists. So we have a, a pretty cheesy scene here with a bunch of scientists doing some research on nuclear testing grounds, and they are brutally and CG murdered because there's a pretty obvious like CG pickaxe going through mm-hmm. people's heads and chests. It's noticeable. It's not that bad for the time. Uh, little uh, body count sequence here. One scientist is killed and then the other one is too. And that is the big difference here in this movie is that my wife is eternally confused. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, it's just my notes. Okay. Yeah. Did you write too small? No, I, I don't know what I wrote. A man wanders off looking for his dog. He doesn't find it. He screams about being out and not wanting to do it anymore. He's gay. He's tired of it. <laughs> I don't, See what I mean? Yeah, I don't. Hey, listen, listen, this is, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say about that. I'm trying to do a podcast over here and you're complaining about your notes. <laughs> if you would not mind, lady, can I please get back to the show? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, in this intro, let's, let's, we get a little bit of a cold open and then we get what is different in this movie is that. They're not just a family of cannibals out there just surviving, right? No. They are mutant freaks. (laughs) (laughs) They've been uh, deformed by atomic blasts. Yeah, they were pushed out of their homes, and they've just been walloped by radiation. Living in the mines. Yeah, and so they have now turned into mutants with horrible deformities and superhuman strength, except for Papa Jupiter for some reason. We start this movie with... The family again at the gas station. We started it in the in the cold. The scientists. Yeah, that's what we started the movie. Oh, we, we started again. The movie, the movie ended, and this is part two. Yeah. We've, <laughs> <laughs> okay. The movie continues in its opening sequence. Yes. The cold open has ended. We've seen the title card. They, the got eyes. They're at Let's the same go. gas station. Yeah, they go to Fred's gas station. Is he Fred in this one? I don't Sure, know. he's Fred. So they go to Fred's gas station, and this scene plays out similarly to the original. Yeah. Movie, except we don't get backstory from Ruby anymore, right? No. We, uh, we just get a lot of the same stuff, basically. Same weird old man. We have the same two German Shepherds. We have the same bird in a cage. We do, we do. And so this is a a newer movie. I did want to talk a little bit about the cast here. So we have Ted Levine. He's Big Bob Carter in this movie. And what's Ted Levine most famous for? I have no idea. You want to fuck me? Very well. From Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know-sold that entirely. Okay. I I said that, and you you looked at me like I just was like, hey, can I borrow $2? (laughs) Like, that was the look on your face. Like, you're like, eh, whatever. So, yeah, he's most famous for that, and that's something that obviously is a pretty iconic performance. And then we have uh, Kathleen Quinlan. Uh, she plays his wife, Ethel Carter, and she's most famous for, like, Apollo 13. I'm sure she's done other stuff. It's the first thing I think of. Uh, Emily DeRaven, who we talked about previously, she plays Brenda in this version, and she's a massive upgrade over what we had in the previous movie. Mm, yes. And uh, she's from Lost, and we talked about her uh, in the Carrie TV version, where we didn't like her at all. <laughs> Then we have uh, Dan Bird, who's from Cougar Town. He plays uh, Bobby in this one, and I really enjoy his portrayal of this character. And this opening sequence is a good j- way to show all of these differences here. Uh, Vanessa Shaw plays Lynn in this one. 
And she's a character actress I've, I've always had a soft spot for. And we talked about her previously in 310 to Yuma. She's in Hocus Pocus. She's also in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. She also rapes a guy in 40 Days and 40 Nights. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Very weird movie. It happened, a Hollywood movie. That's the, the final plot point of it. <laughs> Listen, weird things happen in the O's, guys. I'm not going to pretend it didn't. Someone puts some spikes on the road, and the family hits them, and wrecks slamming into a boulder. Yeah, so we get a kind of a cheesy effect of, like, the spikes coming up, and they cut a lizard in half. Like, they're so sharp. This lizard is just chopped in half by these spikes, right? Yeah. These are the sharpest spikes in the world. Lizard choppers, they call them. So it destroys their car in a much more believable pattern. They didn't go with the PTSD. Yeah, they hit a boulder. PTSD plane. <laughs> yeah. None of that. It's not Bob going, not again, no! <laughs> no! It's, it, it, They'll it, never it. take me alive again. <laughs> so he... Goes off the road. He can't control the vehicle. What is a cool looking stunt, by the way? And by the way, Big Bob, I love this moment. Watch the baby. I love that. And see, so crashes in because I was like, my dad probably do the same thing. Yeah, your dad probably do that same thing too. Mm-hmm. Like it just perfectly looked like. I just love that's a nice little character moment they added. You know, it's the first thing he was thought of to say in one moment. I love that. Crashes the vehicle. Same problem. Axle destroyed. Vehicles totaled. They're in deep shit. So they. And then we get Bob and Doug arguing about staying or going. What to do next? There's a little bit more standoffishness between the two of them in this one. A little mm-hmm. left, right, back and forth, liberal, soy boy. I mean, that's that t- terminology is too advanced, but you know what I'm saying. There's a little bit of that here. I don't Red know what a soy blue. boy is. Huh? I don't know what a soy boy is. I'm assuming a boy that loves soy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm assuming a weak liberal is what they mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't eat meat. Very well. I'm assuming. I don't know. We, we weren't here to talk about the origin. Soy boys. Yeah, I know. Okay. Anyways. You know what? Screw it. This entire episode is about <laughs> soy boys. We're going to talk about them. We're going to find out where they come from. And we're we're going to talk to them. Bob wants to walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. He loves walking. Bob wants to walk. He's going to power walk out in the desert. He's going to get his steps in. Doug doesn't. <laughs> there's some prayers and some... There's a little, little more to it than that. There's a little more to it than that. So basically, so what they should do is just like in the last movie, they should wait till morning to go yeah. together. Bob and Doug should go together to, to the gas station, but Bob wants to go himself and it's shorter in this one. I do believe it's only eight miles. I may be wrong, but it's not that important. It's a ways. And then he wants Doug to go South, right? Mm-hmm. To see if he kind of can get a signal out, right? Well, he wants him to go to see if there's anything back there. Cause they were, they wrecked before they were able to get there. Yeah, wherever uh, the first thing I thought when he said that, because that's different, right? He doesn't do that in the other movie, does he? No, he doesn't. That's he doesn't, different. He, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. Because that's what the difference is with the old man. The old man tells him to go on the to go on the shortcut. Yeah, we well, yeah we did we did skip over that a little bit, but yeah, the the old man knows that Bob is kind of a jerk, so he sends him down the path. Yeah, he gives him the opportunity. You know, he was like, take your chances, and of course Bob does because he is an egotistical fuck. But he's got a big head and it gets him in some trouble, obviously. So he wants to do this plan where he walks that way and he sends Doug the other way when they really should both be going the same way or waiting. But they follow through with it. Doug walks down his way and finds a bunch of discarded cars, right? Yeah. Signs of some life. Yeah, and a big old crater. Yeah. And he's fascinated by it. He walks by, uh, gets a bear out of a, one of the cars and yeah. grabs well, a fishing rod. Wrestles and- a bear. Uh, grizzly. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like a teddy bear. Not that kind of bear. It's like a teddy bear. Anyway, there are some prayers and some more meaningless nonsense, and then Doug and Bob are off. 
Beauty the dog runs off and Bobby goes after her. And this is almost the exact same yeah. beat as the original same film. Thing. Like we Finds talked about. the dog mutilated. Yeah, he he sees someone a lot more clearly in this film and kind of runs away and still knocks himself out. But this time, he, they actually talk over his knocked out body, right? Yeah, Ruby and... Ruby and... So, first off... I, Mars? I, I, well, that's who it is in the other movie. Mm. They're I, they're not always named... It's I, not... Yeah, because Goggle. It's goggle. Yeah, Goggle is the one who is here. So... Let's talk about one thing right off the bat. These are, like I said, they're different. They're mutants. And I think they're a lot less well-rounded in this movie. Yeah. They're more like horror movie caricatures than characters in the last movie. Hunters, you know. This this movie, they just don't really have that kind of feeling to them. And listen, this movie has a lot going on. So something kind of had to get sacrificed. And I think that's kind of a shame. They're a little generic except for Judy, really. Ruby. She's, Ruby, pardon me. <laughs> Ruby. She's the only one that met. I've got to do that all night. I'm sorry. Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the same. Sorry. This happens to me a lot. There's a woman I used to work with named Ruby, and I call her Judy. She's like, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's a short in my brain. Judy. Ruby, Ruby. Uh, Shut up. Bob makes it to the gas station, and no one appears to be there. He goes outside and spots the old man in the outhouse. So when he goes there. blows his head off. So when he goes there, there's one thing I wanted to point out. So we get a little diegetic storytelling, which I like, is we see all the clippings about the people being forced out and they weren't going to go. And the, the government went through with the nuclear testing anyway. Yeah. And so we get like that backstory set up a little bit more visually this time than just someone talking. So that's interesting change as like you said, he walks around the place until he sees the gas station attendants feet and goes over there and this guy kills himself in his outhouse for some reason. Yeah. Just so he can set up a scare. Like, why would you want to kill yourself in the shittiest place that you have? Then all of a sudden you just hear daddy. Daddy. Yeah, yeah. So what we have here is now the introduction of, of this movie's Papa Jupiter. And he is a much less intimidating character here because we only get to hear him say something here, right? And mm-hmm. one other place, right? Yeah. And so he sends Bob running towards the only working vehicle. He tries to get it started and he immediately gets the jump on Big Bob. Yeah, he's inside the car. He beats the shit out of him. And he drags him and like Bob is like half unconscious. They go away. I know I'm a little ahead here, but just Um, finishing that thought with finishing up with Bob. Meanwhile, Brenda finds Bobby and takes him back to the camper. Beast escapes his chains as well. But Bobby is still real leery about going after him. Yeah. So we have that same plot point repeated where he does not really want to say what just happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know why the cannibals didn't eat him. I don't either. Yeah. I, I know goggles chewing on a dog leg at the time, but still. Right. Right? Like, I know. I mean, they got dog meat. I guess they just keep it fresh, maybe? I don't know. Well, we get the whole scene with Doug interrupting Lynn and, I mean, I'm sorry, Bobby interrupting Doug and Lynn having sex. Yeah. And he tells them, he finally tells them about the dog, Beauty, being mauled. Did they have sex in this version? You know, I don't know. No, no I don't, they did not. They did not. Yeah. You were really combining movies here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't think that happened in this version. Did it? I, well, I was out of the room, so I just assumed. No, yeah, I, I don't. There's not an equivalent. There's, you are not allowed to miss any moment of these movies. I try not you, to, you but you will sit there. You will sit there and hunger until they are over. I try not to, but sometimes it happens. So yeah, basically, we we are getting the same setup that we had in the previous movie, and we're going to get the same sequence, almost here, beat for beat, with a few differences. Is we are getting very close to the crucifixion of Big Bob. Yes, while Doug is messing around with Lynn, and I mean while. God damn it, while Bobby is messing around with Doug and Lynn. Yes. 
Brenda is inside getting violated again. So, yeah, yeah. We have almost the same sequence, sort of beat for beat, except it is far more brutal mm-hmm. because the sexual assault is more than implied. Yeah. And we don't see anything, but we do understand more about it. Certainly, there's really no doubt this time. And the burning of Big Bob is far, far more brutal. Here. Mm-hmm. There is an incredible a study camp shot where we go from the front of the trailer, almost in a mad rush all the way to like in front of Big Bob as he's burning up and the fire looks hot. I mean, really does. You see his flesh immediately like bubbling and sizzling. His eyes turn white from the heat. Like the fire really cooks him alive. It's a fantastic effect. They actually built a dummy that was capable of moving and thrashing and lit that on fire for a lot of the final scenes where they're trying to put the fire out. Mm -hmm. So it gives a great look that he's completely engulfed and still moving. And they can only do it the one time because once they burn up the mechanisms, it's over for the dummy. So I thought that was kind of interesting effect. And it looks really, really good as he's about to die, still thrashing. It's a really brutal sequence and I like it. But with that being said, it really does play out mostly the same way. Yeah. There's very Except little Lynn difference. goes back a little earlier. Yeah, and that, that, that's about it. And, and, and Lynn is able to be violated as well. She gets her boobs only... sucked on. Yeah, yeah. So th- this movie is equivalent of Pluto, uh, which is uh, Pluto again. That's played by, I'm sorry, not, Pluto is actually a different one. And Lynn gets shot twice. And... It's a, Robert Joy is a lizard is who I was talking about. Oh, okay. So yeah, that, that's the difference here. Lizard is sort of the, the main cannibal in this movie. Yeah. And I wanted to mention that. That's, like that's, the smartest one. Yeah, that, that's very different. So when, when she first gets there, Lynn, like she sees him talking, oh, baby's plump, good eats, or something like that, right? Like very much implying that he's going to eat the baby. He violates her. He did, and, I, and I want to mention that, like the grossness of him just like sucking on her nipple for, uh, milk. for, for breast milk. Because he chugs some milk earlier, but that, that tracks in both versions. And he does do the same bird. We didn't mention earlier, but the, there's a bird, and he's able to bite the head off and then drink the blood of the bird. That carries in both versions for some reason. But yeah, so once this is all done, it, it still pretty much ends the same way. She is uh, killed, like you said. She's shot twice Yeah. while trying to protect her kid. And she does stab him in the, in the thigh again. And the German Shepherd kills one again. Yeah, and the mother is shot. Kathleen Quinlan version of Ethel is shot in the same way in a much more brutal death. She flies into the back of the cab and, and lands brutally uh, to really establish the sort of difference here. And then this is where Doug is like, fuck this. I'm going to go get my fucking baby back. Yeah. So, and like I said, with that same moment, we do have that same kind of beat again, that same sort of moment. He comes in there. He sees his wife dead. There's a jump scare for it this time, by the way. She comes back to life for like a second and then dies again. Mm-hmm. She takes a breath and then goes. You get to have one moment of hope to be even crueler. And then he comforts his mother-in-law as she passes away. While he's out, he spots a town on the other side of the mine. It turns out to be one of those testing camps for the nuclear bomb. Yeah, like a fake town. Like you've ever seen Crystal, Crystal Skull. Yeah, where they built the cities. For Harrison the Ford is somewhere in a fridge. He hears his baby and goes into a house and immediately gets caught. He ends up in a freezer that's off but full of body parts. He escapes that hell out of the frying pan into the fryer. (laughs) Yeah. He spots one of the men with a giant alien head who's really gross. Yeah, and I think that's Sist who you're talking about. I didn't want to mention that's played by Greg Nicotero, longtime makeup effects guy. Got their start, I think, on Evil Dead 2. He's a big guy. Yeah, and they do um, Walking Dead. They did. He directed episodes of that. Just wanted to point out that he was here. 
Because he's dragging some bodies, I think, to the town as well. He gets knocked around by the big guy, but ends up killing. But he ends up killing him. Yeah, yeah, he does end up fighting this movie's version of Pluto, who is like a strong man, basically. Mm-hmm. They, they've reimagined how the character works, and that's fine, I guess. It's just just different. I do like the the fight scene actually because they him and the him and Beast get a shot, and Beast is beaten <laughs> until he like cries and is thrown off. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that, and it's a very brutal fight. It really is. Like the you know, duck's thrown around, he gets his fingers chopped off. I mean, it's a nasty beat down. And, you know, really, he he gets a couple critical hits from Pluto playing around with his prey, and he puts the screwdriver through the foot, and then he's able to put the flag through the neck. Through the, yeah. Through, yeah, through, through his throat hole. You prefer that term? Yeah. And so he puts it there, and then he puts the back of the pickaxe right through his skull. He gets a perfect kill in that moment, and then the dog finishes off the other mutant. Did you introduce Big Brain? No. Yeah, so Big Brain is just that. He's a guy who has a giant head, and he's confined to, like, a wheelchair. Thing. Yeah, he's gross, too. Yeah, yeah. So and that's how we get introduced to Pluto right before he comes, like, it's breakfast time. And then Pluto breaks through the door and begins this whole giant fight scene. But I didn't want to mention him. He's super gross looking, and he is killed. Once again, Beast racks up another body in this one. Yeah, yeah Beast, Beast gets dines it. on the, the guy who is in the wheelchair. Then we're back at the camper, and... Bobby goes to look for his mother's corpse and finds a man eating it. Yeah, so Papa Jupiter takes the corpse and they come upon him stealing her, her heart, opening it up. That made it sound romantic. He stole her heart. No, he literally cracked open her ribs and pulled it out. By the way, that's actually Kathleen Quinlan on the ground in that scene. Hmm. It's not a dummy. And I, I don't know why they brought her back for that. You could have easily made that a dummy. Nobody would ever have known. But no, she she did lay there for that, so... I did. I did watch uh, one little segment there. I think the the heart was like made of like sugar, huh. so it was like a candy. So that actor really is like tearing right into that thing every time. Nice. He ruined his appetite because he ate so much of the sweethearts. That was a weird way to phrase it, but it's what they were. Hmm. So yeah, he sees that and he gives chase. He comes back and and this Papa Jupiter is just so lame compared to what we had in the original film. Yeah, he he really is, and. It leads to a strange sequence because it's the same as the original film, right? Yeah, they rig the camper to explode. Yeah, th- they do, but he doesn't come through the front door. He goes through the side window, right? Yeah. And they tie him up and lock him there. Brandon ties him up. Uh, not Brandon. Uh, Bobby ties him up. I'm banning people in the movie, sorry. Bobby ties him up. <laughs> <laughs> in the final act, I am. And he escapes, and then he goes through the front door for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the window's already busted. Why didn't you just jump through that? And it's so we can repeat the same gag from the first movie, except this time it destroys Papa Jupiter. does not murder him. Yeah. But he opens it. There's a huge explosion, and he is engulfed in flames. We see that. Yeah, it's, it's, it happens the same. He, we, he blows his ass to smithereens. Yeah, but it's far less inter- interesting this time. We're back with Doug, who fights off another uh, one of his attackers for his daughter. Yeah, so he's going square toe-to-toe with Lizard in this in this fight sequence here. And and Lizard does get a, a really good upper hand on him, correct? Yeah, but eventually he gets the upper hand on Lizard and bas- you think that he's killed, yeah. but he's not. And this is when Ruby comes into play. Yeah, so this is stupid. Uh, Ruby runs at Lizard and gives him a spear, I guess, off the edge cliff. of this cliff. And kills herself. Kills herself to save this stranger and his baby, which I'm, I'm okay with. I, I'm not going to criticize it too much, but it is pretty damn stupid. And I, I think so many characters have an opportunity to kill other ones in this scene, 
It really bothers me. It doesn't come together quite as nicely as I like. How do you feel about this inflated third act of the movie? Because there's so much more here. We meet more mutants. We get more lore. I actually like this movie a little better than the original. Yeah, I, I think that third act helps. Yeah. I mean, there's some things I said I don't like about it, but you know, there are some things that, that do aid it. And I think the acting's a huge part of that too. Now, we don't have that same antithesis with the beginning of the original film being all mutants and then being the Carters. We kind of have this being the Carters and the mutants all together. They're kind of mishmashed in there. Yeah. There's no delineation. That is true. So the, the, that original message is sort of lost a little bit, but mm -hmm. it is a tighter film. Here's some trivia for you. The gas station set was built on location in Morocco. It was so authentic that occasionally someone would stop by for gas. Nice. Almost all of Ted Levine's actions and lines were improvised. I didn't know that. I like Ted Levine a lot as an actor. I used to like him also in uh, Monk. The opening title sequence with the atomic mutations were not at all from birth defects from the atomic blast. They were birth defects from Agent Orange in Vietnam. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. There was a great difficulty shooting the scenes where the gun was pointed at the baby, not because the child was scared, but because it kept trying to play with it. Yeah, yeah. I actually know a bit about this one. They spent a great amount of time. And he still grabs for it. Yeah, they, they spent a great amount of time trying to make sure he wasn't scared of the gun. Like, that was really important to the director, uh, Alexander Aja. And, you know, because of that, it ended up working against them because he just thought it was a big shiny toy. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the gun was never loaded or anything like that. But, you know, to a baby, it's just a shiny thing. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't know. So, and yeah, he does grab for it. He even reaches for the mutant's face at one point in the movie, which I thought was a great moment. You know, because it's just a baby. It's just a baby. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't understand. And, you know, what, what does the mutant do? Doesn't do anything to him. He just smiles. Baby. Yeah, it's a baby. <laughs> yeah, it's universal. I mean, yeah, he's going to eat him, but he's not at that moment. You know, he's just like, oh, that's adorable. Even a, a bloodthirsty mutant could think that. Last fact, 16 different nationalities worked on this film. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Like you said, they shot in Morocco, which, by the way, I was surprised that Morocco, a Moroccan desert looks just like New Mexico. I didn't realize that I, as I watched a little bit behind the scenes on it. Uh, deserts look very, very different from each other. So it was quite an effort to find one that fit New Mexico because New Mexico didn't have any tax incentives at the time. And in the desert areas they want to shoot, there was no towns close by. But for Morocco, that wasn't a problem. All right. You ready for reviews? Yes, I am. Hills Have Eyes, 1977, 67% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.3 on IMDb. I went with a 10-star review. Ooh. After devastating audiences with his depraved but excellent Last House on the Left, director Wes Craven once again goes for the kill with his demented tale of an all-American family facing off against a family of cannibals while deserted in the desert. Don't expect the movie to start getting sick un until midway through. While the film is all around a creepy experience, the atmosphere goes from secluded and scary to deadly and terrifying. The majority of the performances are wonderful especially from one of my favorites, D. Wallace, who I have loved ever since E.T. Of course, what? Craven pulls out all the stops, breaks all the movie rules, and does not let his audience rest for one second after the family starts get, getting killed off. The invasion of the trailer by brothers Mars and Pluto is nerve-wracking, and from then on, it's a nonstop rollercoaster ride of chills, spills, blood, and an unexpected twist. You thought that Krug and his gang of thugs were demented in Last House. Wait till you get to, to meet this gang of degenerates, led by Father Jupiter and his overweight ex-prostitute wife, Daughter Ruth. 
daughter Ruby. I don't know why that information was necessary. (laughs) And sons Mars, Mercury, and Pluto are the kind of people who would expect from inbreeding. I have heard mixed reviews from fans and critics alike, but I think this is possibly Craven's finest work. Better than Last House, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream put together. From these four films, I have made the judgment that Wes Craven is one of the top five horror filmmakers of all time. Seek out out his film and watch it in the dark. I dare you not to be shaking by the end of the credits. What if it's cold? That's why I'm shaking. Does that matter? I don't think that matters to this guy. Doesn't he I, only I, want you I to do shake. like that he was like, and by the way, he married an overweight whore. Like I was like, why do you need to include that information? It's like anytime you read a Stephen King book, it's like if a woman passes by, he's like, by the way, let me tell you about her breasts. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. She's like her eighty-year-old wrinkled, sagging breasts, practically touching her waist. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like Stephen King will do it to any female character that comes in. He's obsessed with breasts. Yeah, maybe this guy Stephen King. I don't know. Hills of Eyes, 20,006. 20,006, my favorite year. (laughs) 3.9 user review, 52% Rotten Tomatoes, 6.4 on IMDb. This is a one-star review, and its name for the review is Repugnant. Repugnant. Keep that in mind. All right, Repugnant. Vile, degenerative schlock that passes for horror these days. The great debate between horror fans, I suppose, will always be a horror supposed to be scary, or is it supposed to be shocking and stomach-turning? I favor the former, but this is the latter. First, the original movie did not need to be remade, but I realize that argument is lost because in the creativity-bereft age for films, particularly horror films, remakes are and have been a constant in the last decade. They almost always are terrible, of course, and a pale shade of the original film, but it doesn't matter. Money talks and people keep watching these things, so keep they keep being made. The favorable reviews for this remake seemed mostly drool over the gross, bloody, rapey shock value of it, like that is what a good horror film is all about. Clearly, there are those who feel that the way that way, and as I've stated, I am not one of them. So if you like that sort of thing, check it out and become a little bit worse inside. Otherwise, avoid it like the plague. This movie offers nothing but degradation. Degradation. He well, was repugnant. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't like it at all, and that that's fine. Like if you just don't dig the extra gore and stuff like that, like a movie like this is certainly not going to work for you, right? If a movie like that's the whole point of this remake is to be gritty, to push further. And so, if you're definitely not down with that sort of feeling, then you're going to have a real problem with it. Yep. So, all right. So, what are your socials? Your mother. <laughs> hungry <laughs> Roger Reaver doesn't care if you're hungry <laughs> Meredith do you understand that he doesn't care you know because of that I'm gonna let the whole theme play listen to that sax you feel it you know what that sax player was thinking he was thinking about how hungry he was I'm getting death stares right now so, ladies and gentlemen, of course, in the year 2006, Roger Ebert was very much alive and did review this reboot. Now, let me ask you, do you think he liked it? No. He titled the reviews, The Eyes Have It. Roger Ebert says, It always begins with the wrong gas station. In real life, as I pointed out in my review of a previous wrong gas station movie, most gas stations are clean, well-lighted places where you can not only buy gasoline, but groceries, clothes, electronic devices, Jeff Foxworthy CDs, and a full line of Harley merchandise. In horror movies, however, 
The only gas station in the world is located on a desolate road in a godforsaken backwater area. It is staffed by a degenerate who shuffles out in his coveralls and runs through a disgusting repertory of scratchings, spittings, chewings, twitchings, and leerings, and while thoughtfully shifting mucus up and down his throat. The clean-cut heroes of the movie, be they a family on vacation, newlyweds, college students, or backpackers, all have one thing in common— They believe everything this man tells them, especially when he suggests they turn left on the unpaved road for a shortcut. Does it ever occur to them that in this desolate wasteland, with only one main road, it must be the road to stay on if they ever again want to use their precious cell phones? No, no it does not. They take a fatal detour and find themselves prey of demented mutant incestuous cannibalistic gnashing slobberers who carry pickaxes the way other people carry umbrellas. They occupy junkyard, towns made entirely of wax, nuclear waste zones, and motel hell. It takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. This is the destiny that befalls a vacationing family in The Hills Have Eyes, which is a very loose remake of Wes Craven's 1977 movie of the same name. I wouldn't say loose. The Carter family is on vacation. Dad, Ted Levine, is a retired detective who plans to become a security guard. Mom is sane, lovable Kathleen Quinlan. A daughter and son-in-law, Vanessa Shaw and Aaron Stanford, have a newborn baby. There are two other Carter children, Dan Bird and Emily DeRaven, and two dogs named Beauty and Beast. They've hitched up their Airstream on a jolly family vacation through the test zones where 331 atmospheric nuclear tests took place between the years of 1950 and 1968. After the Carters turn down the wrong road, they're fair game for people who are in the eyes of the hills. They are descendants of miners who reduced to leave their homes when the government ordered them away from the testing grounds. They hid in the mines, drank radioactive water, reproduced with their damaged DNA, and brought forth mutants who lived by eating trapped tourists. There is an odd bomb crater filled with the abandoned cars and trucks of their countless victims. It is curiously touching, in the middle of their polluted wasteland, to see a car that was towing a boat that still has its outboat motor attached. No one has explained what the boat was seeking at that altitude. The plot is easily guessed. Ominous events occur. The family makes a fatal mistake by splitting up. Dad walks back to the wrong gas station while the dogs bark like crazy and run away. The young Bobby chases them into the hills. Meanwhile, the mutants entertain themselves by passing in front of the camera so quickly that you can't really see them. While we hear a loud sound halfway between a swatch and a swooch on the soundtrack, just as a knife in a slasher movie can make a sharpening sound just because it exists, so do mutants make swatches and swooshes when they run in front of cameras. I received some appalled feedback when I praised The Devil's Rejects by Rob Zombie, but I... Fuck that movie. (laughs) Let me repeat. I received some appalled feedback when I praised Rob Zombie's brilliant 2005 film, The Devil's Rejects, said by one Roger Ebert, the greatest film critic who ever lived. He's a hack. But I admire two things about it. One, a desire to entertain and not merely to sicken. And two, its depraved killers were individuals with personalities, histories, and motives. The Hills Have Eyes finds an intriguing setting in the typical fake towns built by the government, populated by mannequins and tend to be destroyed by nuclear blasts. But its mutants are simply engines of destruction. There is a misshapen creature who coordinates attacks with a walkie-talkie. I would have liked to know more about him, but no luck. Nobody in this movie has ever seen a dead teenager movie. And so they don't know that, one, you never go off alone, two, you especially never go off alone at night, and three, you never follow your dog when it races off barking insanely. 
because you have more sense than a dog. It is also possibly not a good idea to walk back to the wrong gas station to get help from the degenerate who sent you on the detour in the first place. It's not faulty logic that derails the hills have eyes, however, but faulty drama. The movie is a one-trick pony. We have the Eaters and the Eds, and they will follow their destinies until some kind of desperate denouncement, possibly followed by a final shot showing that it's not really over. And of course, there will be a Hills Have Eyes too. Of course, there already was a Hills Have Eyes too in 1985. But then again, there was the Hills Have Eyes 1977, and that didn't stop them. Maybe this will. Isn't it pretty to think so? One and a half stars. Not a fan. Nope. Not a fan. And you're not a fan of Ebert anymore, are you? No. If you want to let Meredith know how wrong she is for hating Roger Ebert, a couple ways to do that. One, if you're living in the 90s, email grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. Send it to her let her know how much she sucks for hating Roger Ebert. If you want to do it in a more advanced technological way, you can hit us up at Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok. Great. Let her know you suck. Um, I'm good with it. I am good with it. <laughs> and with that being said, gentlemen, we are out. Bye. See you guys. <laughs>